One thing about the slideshow that we have, it may not be right. I wasn't going to do a slideshow because I knew I normally don't do one on the on the nights we do the, the prayer service. But half of the prayer, the last half I've got a handout for you. The first half I didn't. And there's a lot of little different points and things in this. And so literally like at 6.15 I started trying to throw this together. Uh, and, and even once I was going and getting everything's ready, I began to realize things weren't right with it. So I, I hope it's all like it's supposed to be. But if there's a difference in what I'm saying and what's on the slide, I'm right because I've got the notes and the slideshows just been put together improperly. So as we talk about praying and, and a church, praying for our church, uh, we have to ask, what does God want? Or what does Jesus want the church to be? Or specifically, what does Jesus want our church to be? Now, of course, you can imagine there are leadership books and blogs uh, written for the churches and for the pastors and for the leaders to to give the answers to this question. There are podcasts uh, and podcasts and podcasts released every week to answer this question. And, and most of the books and most of the pogs and most of the podcasts are good and, and they give potential and solid answers. Um, to what God wants, what Jesus wants His church to be. But there is a passage, the passage in Mark, Mark 11, 15 through 18, page 772, which gives an answer um, that is often overlooked as to what God wants His church, what Jesus wants His church to be. So go ahead and open your Bible if you haven't. Let me read to you what it says. Mark 11. Verse 15 through 18, page 772. And it says, And they come to Jerusalem, and they went into the temple, and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables, the money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves, and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. Now, this passage is familiar. It's happened just happened. It's happened just after Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now, again, we're probably familiar with the story of Jesus cleansing the temple. And yesterday as I was praying for our church, this passage came to my mind and I began to look at it. And I want you to, to notice what it says in verse 17. First it says, and he taught. So after cleansing the temple, Jesus has run through the temple. He has overturned the tables. He has overturned the seats. He has pushed the animals out. And then he begins to teach. Right? And he's teaching his disciples. Uh, he is, there is something in the rest of this verse, that he wants his disciples then and his disciples now to know. right? And there are two aspects in this of what we see, what Jesus taught, and it's about what he wants his church to be. Now first, he wants it to be a praying church. right? A, a house of it is to be called a house of prayer or the house of prayer. Now, the idea of the church being a house of prayer has always been significant to me. Prayer has always been really important, a uh, part of what I wanted to do in my life. And, and looking at this and seeing how Jesus wants His church to be a house of prayer has always been important. Now, anything else we are as a church, you know, we say a beacon of hope, a, a gospel mission. Whatever else we are, we must be a house of prayer. In fact, I would contend we we cannot be a beacon of hope. We cannot be a gospel mission unless we are a house of prayer. It is prayer that connects us to God and prayer that connects us to God and the power of God. And without the, the power of God, there is no hope to shine into the despair and the darkness of our world. Without the power of God, there is no effectiveness in our gospel witness. So if we are to be a beacon of hope, if we are to be a gospel mission, we must be a house of prayer. We must be a praying church. And there are at least, I would say, four characteristics of a praying church. Right? The first is a praying church prioritizes or prioritized prayer. 
A praying church prays as a priority. A praying church, prayer isn't an afterthought. It's not something added in. It is a priority every time they gather. Right? It says in Colossians, continue in prayer, watching the same with thanksgiving. Three aspects to this command. First, devote yourselves to prayer. The idea of continuing in prayer is to pray and keep on praying. It, the, the word carries with it a strong determination to pray and keep praying no matter what. It is a determination which says, no matter what else I do, I am going to pray. So continue in prayer first. Devote yourselves. Secondly, watch in prayer or be alert. The word watch is a a military term. uh, And it was described what a soldier is supposed to do when he's on guard duty. Now, a soldier on guard duty is supposed to be awake and alert and looking around and looking, actively looking for dangers. Being on watch is more than just being the guy that's awake. It is being the guy that is awake and actively watching and listening and paying attention to everything going on around you to see what the enemy may be doing. And that's the idea of watching in prayer, to be alert to our surroundings, to be alert and aware of our need for prayer, to be alert and aware of the needs only prayer can solve. To be alert and aware of those things that would come into our life which would distract us from keeping prayer as a priority in our lives. To be alert and aware of the spiritual battles raging around us. To be alert and aware of the the lusts and the dangers of the world which the Bible says war against our very soul. To be alert and aware of the enemy. The Bible says prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So prioritized prayer is is devoted to prayer, but it is also alert to all the reasons we must pray. And then with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving should always be a part of our prayer. We thank God for what He has done. We thank God for what He has promised to do. And if we have a great big faith, we can even thank God for what He will do in response to to our prayers. Now, the reason I use this verse for the, the, the one for prioritized prayer is Paul did not write that to an individual. That is Colossians 4.2, written to the church in Colossae. So the church, as they gathered together, they were to prioritize prayer in this way. Not the individuals, but the church as a whole. So the church is meant to prioritize Prayer. Secondly, there would be public prayer. Right? If we as a church are going to prioritize prayer and continue earnestly in it, then we must have public prayer. And what I mean by public prayer is more than a time where we begin the service by praying and end the service by praying. But a time where everything shuts down but prayer. Right? A time where, like tonight, we take prayer requests. We gather at the altars or we pray where we are. But where the focus of our service in that moment is praying. Right? It's not perfunctory. It's not what we pray at the beginning. We pray at the end. But a part of our gathering, we gather in part to pray. To pray with one another. To pray for one another. Now this sort of public prayer frequently occurs in the book of Acts. Whoop. These all continued one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brethren. This is just after Jesus ascended into heaven. Jesus ascends. The apostles go back to Jerusalem. They gather the church that exists at that time and they pray. And they're they're praying while they wait on the the coming of the Holy Spirit. Well, we jump to Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit still hasn't come. They don't know what else to do. So what do they do? They gather together and they pray. In Acts chapter 4, the apostles are threatened by the religious leaders and told to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. So they gather the church together. They tell them what was said and they pray. Right? All of this was a time when what was going on in the church service, what the, the focus of the church was, was to pray. And we, we see this all throughout the book of Acts, all throughout the idea of the, this idea in the New Testament from the beginning. 
The church of Jesus Christ has demonstrated the priority of prayer to having times in their public gatherings where the world shuts down and their focus in that time is to pray, to cry out to their God with one another and for one another. So public prayer. There's also passionate prayer. James 5 through 5, 16 through 18 was one of my very favorite passages when I very first really committed my life to Jesus. Confess your faults one to another. Not, not really that part so much. Um, but pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now that part, that part stood out to me. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And, and I wanted I wanted effectual prayers, which meant they had to be fervent and I had to be righteous. That, that was the idea. That's what it says. And, and the righteousness meant there, it, it is the righteousness we get when we're saved, but it's also righteous in how we live. Right? It is both being righteous and doing righteous. And so that became kind of a, well, that's difficult. Right? Because I, I don't always do what I'm supposed to do. I would love to say I have attained perfection and I no longer sin or struggle with sin. But that would be a lie. And so that was a daunting thought until we get to the next part. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And yet he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by space of three years and six months. And he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. Now, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. Here's what that means in a nutshell. He wasn't perfect either. Elijah lived in the same world we live in. And he struggled with the same temptations we struggle with. And he got discouraged. And he was overcome. And he laid under a juniper tree. And he prayed for God to just kill him because he wasn't any good to begin with. And he struggled with sin. And he was not different than us. And yet, he prayed and fire fell from heaven. The rain stopped and then the rain came back. So apparently, being a righteous man with effectual prayer, doesn't mean we have to be achieved perfection. But it does mean we have to be striving to live the life God wants us to live. We stumble, we fall, we get up, we confess it, we move out again. We are righteous in God's sight. And those prayers are effective. But also notice they are fervent. That's where I get the idea of passionate in this. The word fervent is translated in several ways, different translations. My favorite comes from a paraphrased Bible I sometimes read. It says, tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. I like that. I like the picture of passionate, heartfelt prayer. Because that, that is the image James is trying to convey, to communicate to us. Now, passionate prayer. I grew up. In Free Will Baptist churches. And I grew up with old time Free Will Baptist preachers. And old time Free Will Baptist preachers were loud in all aspects of church service. They sang loud. They preached loud. And they prayed loud. Now, I'm all about that. I'm a loud individual. I preach loud. I pray loud. I like to be loud. However, passionate prayer, fervent prayer doesn't have to be loud. Right? It, it is not a shouting contest. Praying passionately doesn't mean we have to try to shout over one another. It, it, it is earnest. It is sincere. It is heartfelt. It is passionate. And, and this can be soft. It can be loud. And it can be something in between. We had a lady at our church at Fort Gibson named Georgie. And, and she prayed the most passionate prayers you ever heard. Never talked any louder than this as she prayed. I mean, it was fervent. And it was effectual. Make no mistake. Praying passionately means it can't be a routine. Right? We can't plug in our prayer recording. Lord, forgive me for my sins. Bless me as I go throughout my day. Help me to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. 
right? Bless this food, nourishment to my body. Help me. You know, oh, we, it, we can't plug in our, our rote prayer and say that's going to be the kind of prayer that is passionate. Passionate prayer is from the heart. It involves our emotions. It involves our mind. It, it is we are all in as we are praying. And, and as a church, this is how we, we have to pray. When we pray together. When we pray publicly. We pray passionately. And then, finally, there has to be private prayer. Prioritized prayer, public prayer, passionate prayer, and private prayer. A, a church's prayer life. right? So what we do when we pray here together will only be as good as our praying at home is. Right? A, a church will only be a praying church when it's filled with praying people. If we had 30 minutes in every service set aside to pray, and we didn't pray at home, so we couldn't pray 30 minutes here, that would not be 30 minutes of prayer. It would be 30 minutes of our minds wandering. Right? Whatever a church is, is a reflection of who you and I are. And so there must be private prayer. The only way we will have prioritized prayer here is if we have prioritized prayer at home. The only time, the only way we will have passionate prayer here is when we have passionate prayer at home. It has to start there and then what we do here be the overflow of our prayer time at home. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said we are to have a time of prayer where we, in His words, we go into the room, we shut the door, and we pray in secret. Um, and really, we don't have time to develop it much, but Jesus, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, talks about don't pray like the hypocrites do. And really, one of the main ways to prevent ourselves from being a hypocrite in prayer is to pray privately before we pray publicly. I mean, that was one of the, the characteristics of the hypocrites, wasn't it? They stood on the street corner where everybody could see them and, and they made a show of it. But there wasn't that inward devotion to God, that private prayer time, and it made them somewhat hypocritical. So we, we must have a private prayer time. So Jesus wants His church, Jesus wants our church to be a praying church, a house of prayer. But He also wants... His church, our church, to be an inclusive church. He says it is to be called a house of prayer for all nations. For all nations. Now, the story of Jesus cleansing the temple is significant because of what's going on that causes Him to cleanse it. The religious leaders have set up shop in the temple. And and what they did, were doing was when you came to Jerusalem at this time of the year, you had to make a sacrifice and you had to pay the temple tax. Well, of course, you know the Old Testament, the temple or the the sacrifices couldn't be blind and lame and maimed and all of these scraggly nasty things. It had to be this really your best is what you were supposed to get. Um, well, if you live far off and you were coming to Jerusalem, bringing your pure, spotless lamb all of that way, it, it created problems and dangers. It was a hard walk. The lamb could be scrawny by the time you got there. I mean, there were just issues. Um, and, and so what the religious leaders did was they set up a kind of a thing that was meant to be a good thing initially. And you could, you, you, you left your lamb at home and you bought one from the, when you got there. And you paid the price you would that you would if you were to sell yours you paid the price so it was the same thing you were it, it was you sacrificing and it was one that was without spot without blemish and, and all of those kinds of things then the money you paid a temple tax but the temple tax couldn't be paid with the Greek drachma it had to be paid in the the Jewish shekel the temple shekel well they didn't use that. I mean, those who lived outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea, they didn't use that. They used the Greek drachma. They used the Greek money system. And so they had to have a time where they exchanged the money. And so the religious leaders, again, initially set it up and they said, we've got this. We're going to have one place, one stop shop. 
Right? You stop and you come in and you need a lamb. We've got one. You need a dove. We've got one. You need to exchange your money. Here it is. What happened was over time, two things happened. One is they began to sort of jack up the prices. Right? So you got a very bad exchange rate at their drachma center. And so they were cheating the people. At the same time, you brought your own animal. They would say, oh, I think there's a spot there. You, that, we can't take that one. But hey, you can buy this one. Right? And it was a, a way to line their own pockets. Secondly, and this is what Jesus is getting to by calling it a house of prayer for all nations. They set this up in the place called the court of the Gentiles. Now, within the temple, the court of the Gentiles was the only place where a non-Jewish person could go. And, and it was God's intention that there be a place in the temple so that non-Jews could come and pray to Him. And they could come and they could worship Him. And they could come and they could honor Him. And they could come to know Him. But the Jews, the Jews didn't like the Gentiles. As far as the Jews were concerned, God could damn all the Gentiles to hell and that would be okay with them. Think about the book of Jonah. Jonah is such a great example of this. God sends Jonah to Nineveh, but Jonah runs. Why does Jonah run? When I was a kid, I was taught it's because he was scared of the Ninevites. As I got older and I read the book of Jonah, I realized that's not the case. Do you know why Jonah ran? He was afraid God would forgive the Ninevites. And he didn't want them to receive God's mercy. He wanted them to be judged and to die. And he was afraid if he went and preached, they would repent and God would show mercy because that's who God was. And when God did show mercy, because they did repent, and he relented in doing harm, it made Jonah angry. And he said he would rather die than live in a world where his God would forgive an Assyrian, would forgive a Ninevite. And then, even though God said, I have, he still went out and sat over the city and just watched. Maybe God's going to kill them anyway. And he was watching, hoping to see a city of people destroyed by the judgment of God. And then he was going to clap and be gleeful at God killing those who were not like him. Now, that mindset of Jonah is the sort of mindset the religious leaders had when they set up shop in the court of the Gentiles. They didn't want a non-Jew to know God, to love God or to worship God. But Jesus said God's desire was for his house to be diverse, for it to be inclusive for all nations. All ethnic groups, all peoples to be welcomed in there. When Solomon built the original temple, here's a part of his prayer of dedication. Moreover, concerning the stranger, which is not of thy people Israel, but has come from a far country for thy great name's sake and thy mighty hand and thy stretched out arm. If they come and they pray in this house, hear thou from heaven, even from thy dwelling place, do according to all the stranger calleth. To thee for that all the people of the earth may know thy name and fear thee as doth thy people Israel and may know that this house which I have built is called by thy name. See, it was always God's intention to bring in the nations. It was always God's intention for all peoples of all tribes and languages and nations and tongues to gather and to worship him. God always intended for all peoples of all nationalities and all social classes and all cultures and even all religions to be welcomed into his house so they could learn to know him. They could believe in him. They could love him and they could serve him. Now, this idea, this truth is hugely important when you live in a town where 30 or more languages are spoken in our public high school. Anyone in our community should be able to walk into our church and feel welcomed, regardless of their nationality, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their social class, regardless 
of their culture, or even regardless of their religion. A woman in a hijab should feel just as welcomed in this place as a man in a MAGA hat. Because this is to be a house of prayer for all nations. That is Jesus' will for us. Now, again, let's be clear. We're not saying we're going to have a co-religion service with Islam. We're not. But how will a Muslim person in our community come to know about Jesus if they're not welcome in the church of Jesus? They have to be welcomed here. They have to be able to come in, set among us, and not just be tolerated, right? Not just be, well, they're here. Fine, we're not going to say anything, but we're just going to ignore them. God help us, it can't be that. They have to be welcomed. They have to be accepted. They have to be cared for. They have to be given time to hear the good news of great joy about a Savior who has come. So they can repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ just like everyone else. A church which is not inclusive and not welcoming to those who are different is not a church of Jesus Christ. It is a sectarian organization of probably some cultural value to the community and the people who go there. But it is not a place where Jesus is worshipped. If we push them out, we don't allow them to come in, we do not make them feel welcome, we are no different than this. And if Jesus were to come in, He would not be happy. But He would make a cord of whips And he would turn things over and yell at us about what we were doing. We must be a praying church. And we must be an inclusive church. This is Jesus' plan. His will, his want. So is this who we are? Is this who we want to be? Now, I think the second question is the key to the first question. Is this who we are depends on is this who we want to be. Because if we want to be that, we will be that. And if we don't want to be that, we will never be that. So is this who we want to be? Let's take a few minutes where we are and pray for us to be the kind of church Jesus wants us to be. A praying church and an inclusive church. Father, we love you today. You are wonderful. You are amazing. You are our rock and our fortress. Very present help in times of trouble. You are the God who hears and the God who cares. And you are the God of all nations. You are the God who wants your glory to be declared to all nations. So, Father, help us to be sure we are this kind of church so we can do that. It's not enough to send money to go to the nations. It's not even enough to send people to go to the nations. We have to welcome the nations who are here among us. Welcome them here. Welcome them in. Give them an opportunity. Talk to them about you. Accept them until they have had a chance to understand the good news great joy about a Savior who has come, who is Christ Jesus the Lord. Guide us to be a praying church. Help us 
Lord, when we gather together, let our times of prayer be a priority. Lord, I am thankful for the times of prayer we have. I am thankful that we are in the we, we are we are a praying church. And we are trying to become even a better praying church or a more praying church or, or whatever words we need to use. But we we know, we know we need you. I mean, we can't save the lost. We can't restore the prodigal. We can't heal the broken hearts. We can't open spiritually blind eyes. We can't raise the spiritually dead to new life in Christ. We can't set the captives free. But, but you, you can't. We can't. Meet the needs, the burdens, things that we talked about tonight. We, we cannot do anything about any of those things, but you can. Just continually remind us of how dependent we are upon you. Because when we understand that, we can't help but pray. And so guide us to pray as a priority when we gather. And guide us to pray as a priority in our personal lives. Guide us to pray passionately. Guide us, Lord, that our prayer, it would be honoring to you and that we would see your spirit move. We would see you do great and mighty things in response to our prayers, because that's just who you are. We love you. and We praise you. It's in Jesus name. We ask these things. Amen. Now, I have a prayer list here. Domingo, come help me. Jacob, will you come help too? I am a, of course, those of you who have been here a while for these prayer services, you know I am a big fan of prayer lists. I like them. I've liked them since I first started praying. Um, they help me to be specific over general. They help me to stay focused. And they help me to cover all of my bases. So what I've given you is a, a prayer list to pray, something to pray for the church every day. Uh, there's, I think there should be six on every day except Wednesday, which I think there's only five on that day, and then there's seven on Thursday. So it's just a few things, specific things. Uh, it's different. If you, if you still had the one, I gave one out like this in 2018. If you were here then, you've still been using it. God bless you. This one is different, so this is a way to replace it. So what I want to do is I, I, we don't have time to go through every prayer request, but there are a few, either some that are different than what they were last time, or some that just need to be emphasized that we pray for. So on Sunday, uh, two I, I want to, well, just a couple I want to emphasize. First, people would be aware of God's presence in our church. More than we need good preaching, good singing, anything else, we need people to know God is here. Right? We want people to come in. And when they leave, even if they can't remember a word that was preached or a song that was sung, they would say there is something there I don't have. And they would come to recognize it was God. So pray for that. Uh, pray for the Holy Spirit to bring deep conviction into people's life. You know, we sang that song about, at Calvary where he, he trembled at the law I'd spurned. That's a great song and a great truth. But the reality is, our day, people don't tremble at the law they had spurned anymore. They don't tremble at God's Word. People, people are not concerned about the fact they have sinned against the Holy God. Part of it is because they're, with the World Wide Web, there is somebody somewhere explaining why that conviction you feel isn't really from God, while that sin you're committing really isn't a sin. So it's, it's not like it was when that song was written, where this is the Bible and everybody believes it, essentially. 
it is, this is the Bible, but it may mean this and it may mean that, and that may not be a sin, and this may be a sin. So there's a, there's a lot that needs to be overcome. So pray people would be brought to deep conviction through the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you look at Monday, pray God would incline our hearts to His Word, open our eyes to behold wondrous things from His Word, Unite our hearts to fear His name. Satisfy us with His steadfast love as we read the Word. You you may have heard me talk before about praying our IOUs. That's what this is. Uh, This is a a good thing. I pray this, some variation of this, every time before I do my daily Bible reading or am I studying for a Sunday sermon or a sermon in general. But pray we would, we want our, our hearts to be focused. We want our time in the Word to be meaningful. Uh, and, and so pray God would do these things in our midst. Uh, if you look at Tuesday, and, and I want to mention probably almost most of Tuesdays, but we would be soul conscious. We've talked about that a lot. But just be aware, people are souls, precious souls who are going to spend eternity in hell apart from Jesus. Pray the Holy Spirit would shed the love of God abroad in our hearts. Now, when we and, and pray, we would have an agonizing burden for the lost. Now, I put those three in order on purpose for this reason. We live in a day in which the world is divided. America is divided, and the division is sharp, and the division is hateful. And so, it is not uncommon for people to almost not to almost to despise those who are different in one way or another. And to use terms for those who are different, which are dehumanizing. Now, in the army, back when I was in and before, I don't think they probably don't do it anymore. It's not politically correct. But they they taught us to use dehumanizing terms for the enemy we would face. So in World War II, the Americans fought the Krauts. Right? We 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 fought the frogs, the French. Uh, And you always had some sort of dehumanizing term for the enemy. There were other dehumanizing terms for Vietnamese, for Chinese, for Koreans. And the reason wasn't racist. It wasn't a racial thing. Not as much as it was really a pragmatic thing. It is unnatural for one human to kill another human no matter what. But it's a whole lot easier to kill a kraut than it is to kill someone else made in the image of God. And so the army taught us these terms to dehumanize our enemy so we wouldn't hesitate to kill. We wouldn't see someone made in the image of God. We wouldn't see someone with a family and a wife and a a spouse and children. We would just see crowds, frogs, the enemy. And we could kill them without hesitation. What we see in our culture right now with politics and such is the exact same thing. That sort of dehumanizing, calling them by names, right? You, you, you take away their humanity. They're not a person made in the image of God. They're a libtard, right? They're, they're not someone with a family. They're a, a racist nationalist pig. And in doing so, we don't see the value of their souls. We, we won't be soul conscious toward those who are different than us. And we have to realize when Jesus or the Holy Spirit sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts, that is not a a love for people we love and a people who love us. That is not just a love for people who are like us. That is the love your enemies do good to them that hate you kind of love. And, And if we see people as souls, if we have the love of God in our hearts, we will have an agonizing burden. Because we just can't stand to see other humans made in the image of God burn in hell for all of eternity. And whatever else the church is going to do as far as how we interact in our culture. We cannot interact like the political talking heads tell us to. We cannot be disciples of Fox News or Breitbart or CNBC or Brian Williams. We have to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And He taught us to live, think, and act differently. 
pray we would see ourselves as missionaries for Jesus who have been sent by Jesus to prepare the way for Jesus to do what only He can do. We, we've talked about that on Sunday mornings. Pray we would encounter persons of peace. Really, just remember that person of peace is someone who is not only themselves open to the gospel, but has influence to allow you to have opportunity to share the gospel with a larger group of people. Uh, Wednesdays are all from last, we were on there before. Thursday, uh, a new one. Pray we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We've talked about that, but that's still something we want to have. Pray. This was on the last one, but it's still important. Pray we would have a righteous influence everywhere we go and a righteous testimony everywhere we go. That salt and light. Salt influences, light shines. As disciples of Jesus, we are to have an influence and a testimony. And we do. The reality is we do. The question is, what kind is it? As disciples of Jesus, we're to have a salty influence and a light testimony. So pray as a church we would have the righteous influence and righteous testimony where God would have us to be. Friday, pray our prodigals would turn back to Jesus. Uh, we've started putting this more in our Sunday morning time. But recent years, you know, when you've been here a while, you start to notice we've had a lot of prodigals. And there's just, there's just a lot of kids who've grown up in our church who aren't in church anymore. I mean, I'm not saying they're not in free will Baptist churches. Shoot, I'd be happy if they were in Pentecostal churches or Nazarene churches or Southern Baptist churches. But they're not. They're, they're not in church. They, they have no care for it. Pray our prodigals would, would turn back. Saturday, pray God would use our community to transform, our church to transform our community. I, I believe that. I believe it happened in Acts and I believe it can happen today. And I believe we can be a part of what God would do in that. And so pray we would. Pray God would use our church to plunder hell in order to populate heaven. People are already lost and going to hell. They're already under the wrath of God. And in order for them to be saved, they have to turn from their current way and believe in Jesus Christ. And we want to plunder hell. They are headed for hell. We want to stop that and populate heaven. Pray we would be a beacon of hope. Proclaiming hope from Christ to Gaiman and beyond. Pray we would be a gospel mission who sends and supports, gives and goes to ensure this gospel is fully preached to Gaiman and beyond. Now, let me mention two things about both of these. Gaiman and beyond is what I've said because part of being a church who reaches the nations is we have to get it to the nations. Granted, we have the nations here and that is wonderful and we need to do what we can to reach them. But we can't just stop here. We also have to do what we can to get hope and the gospel to the nations that have not heard. Secondly, I use the term fully preached. Uh, Mark, Jesus said to preach the gospel to every creature, every person. The reality is, even in our community, there are people who have never heard. Which is, it's hard to fathom that. I mean, there are... You can stand out in our parking lot and see three churches. I mean, I think you could probably stand in every church parking lot in Guyman and see two or three churches from the parking lot. How is it that not everyone has heard? I don't know, but the reality is some have never heard. And so we, we want to fully preach the gospel, saturate our community and the world with the gospel so everyone has an opportunity to hear, to repent, to believe, and be saved. If people in Guyman, Oklahoma, choose to die and go to hell, let it be over our pleas and over our urging and over our sharing the gospel that they cannot say, no one ever told me. Let's do what we can. Pray that we would do what we could to preach the gospel fully. I ask all that would to, to come to the altar. Pray, pray where you are. Uh, pray, pick a couple of these to pray. And then when we're through, we'll move on.
with this list, let's commit to praying for our church specifically for at least 10 minutes a day. I mean, if we prayed, and, and, and again, I, I know, I know you do. I have no doubts that the people gathered here have private prayer lives that are very passionate and very much a priority of their lives. But it's so easy to get focused on so many other things that we, we neglect the importance of praying for the church and the mission of the church. So let's do so. Let me quickly say one hindrance to the church being all Jesus intends it to be is a, a sense of inferiority complex. Uh, this seems common, particularly in smaller churches and smaller communities. And so what happens is we we begin to believe a, a lie. The church is poor, and pitiful, and powerless. The lie asserts the church is just trying to mind its own business, but is mercilessly attacked by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And this is a satanic lie on, on many levels. One, the church is not poor and pitiful and powerless. Church was started by Jesus Christ. The church that Jesus started, he said the gates of hell could not overcome. Poor and powerless does not describe the church of Jesus Christ in any way. But it's also a lie. The church of Jesus Christ is not trying to mind its own business. We're not. We're trying to mess with everything. We want to be like Paul. We want to be pestilent fellows. We want the false religious leaders to be angry at us because the gospel is spreading. We, we want those who are profiting from human slavery to sin to get angry like they did in Ephesus because nobody's buying idols anymore. We want to see the gospel spread through our community to such an extent nobody's buying drugs. And the drug dealers flee the town for fear of being converted. We are doing all we can to turn the world upside down through Jesus Christ and His gospel. But the church is powerful because of Christ. Jesus loves His church, the Bible tells us. Jesus works to make a glorious church, the Bible tells us. Jesus conquers through His church. Jesus saves through His church. Jesus transforms communities through His church. Do you believe these things are true? Do you believe Jesus does these things? Do you believe these things are true for our church? In the panhandle of Oklahoma. Do you believe Jesus can and will and wants to do these things through our church? Here in the middle of the panhandle of Oklahoma. I heard a guy say once, sometimes the promises are bigger than the proof. But we have to believe the promises anyway. I think in many ways that's kind of where we have to be. The promises in here are great and precious. The proof we haven't seen turn the world upside down. Community transformed. But let's be like Abraham. Who against hope, believed in hope, wavered not in unbelief, but believed that the God who said it could absolutely bring it to pass. Let's believe those things are true. Let's live like those things are true. Let's pray like those things are true. And let's serve like those things are true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, guide us tonight and and, and elevate our, our vision. Father, not just our vision of you, though certainly we need our view of you to be elevated to where we understand how great and awesome you truly are. But, but elevate our view of your church, how much you love it, what you intend to do through it. The world would have us to believe the days of the church of Jesus Christ are past. The world would have us to believe the gospel is irrelevant and it would have no impact on our world. The, the world would have us to believe your word is worthless. And we know those things are not true. 
Father, let us have the view of your church, of your word, of your son and of your gospel you have. Let our our faith be fueled by this. And let us be people who are launched out and fervently living for you. Boldly proclaiming the good news. Great joy a Savior has come. Christ the Lord. And work through our church to transform our community. Father, let us see souls saved. Let us see prodigals restored. Let us see broken hearts healed. Let us see blind eyes opened. Let us see captives set free. And let us see the spiritually dead raised to new life in Christ. And let us see our church in the middle of the panhandle take the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Far beyond what anyone could have ever imagined church in the panhandle of Oklahoma could do. Let it be done for your glory. Let it be done to demonstrate your greatness. Let it be done so the world will know there is a God in heaven. And He has a Son named Jesus Christ. We ask it in His name for His sake. Amen.